Uh, just one announcement to make. There will not be a Wednesday Bible study this Wednesday because Vi's taking me away for Father's Day. And we're actually uh, just going to go to the cats. You know, I just want to share something with you married couples. It's really good It's if a couple times a year you can get away just the two of you as a couple, away from everything that's familiar. And you can go to the Catskills, and you can rent a cabin that has kitchen and everything else in it for less than a motel room. And so it's not a real expensive thing, because if you go to one of those cabins, and there's no TV, there's no Internet, and you're forced to do one thing, talk to each other. And it's a wonderful thing. It's like a chance to renew and get to know one another. And a lot of you might say, well, we're alone anyway. Like, fine, our kids are all married. And but there's so much going on that when you get away, you're away from everything. You're away from everybody you're not, you know. I would just encourage you to do that. So anyway, that's why there's no Wednesday Bible study. All that for that. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus, Yeshua's name, and how we thank you, Heavenly Father, for your love and for the way that you're able to pour your grace into our hearts. We are certainly unworthy, and we are vessels that only you can make pure to receive your good news and your truth and your love and your word. And so I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would make our hearts pure and ready to receive your word and, and your message to us this morning. And use me, Lord. There's, there's no one more aware of my own unworthiness than me. But yet, Lord, you are worthy and you are faithful. And so anoint and fill and use me, Lord, to speak to your people, your precious people, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And um, I'm going to share with you a quote, a quote in just a moment from Alex de Tocqueville. He's a, a French historian and writer and uh, educator. I mean, he was a political scientist. He was a very, very intelligent man. And he came and visited the United States, and he traveled across the United States from 1831 to 1832. Now, Alexis was an abolitionist, and he strongly believed that slavery was appalling and that it was against God. And so when he came, you know, to the United States, he was absolutely... Um, he, 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 he did not like what he saw as far as slavery was concerned, but he loved what he saw in the churches. And I'm going to read his quote in just a moment. But we have to understand that as believers, there is no room at all for prejudice and bigotry. None. Not even a bit. Because we have to understand, we use terms that we shouldn't use, like we say, different races. There are no different races. We are one race. We have different ethnic groups, but we're one race. Take a DNA test. We're one race. We're one people. And as Christians, because we believe what the Word of God teaches, anytime we show a distinction between people, it's a sin. You know what I'm saying? It's not just misunderstanding. It's a sin. God has made it very clear that we are all one. You see, there's only two types of people in the world. The saved and those that need to be saved. That's it. And so those of us that are saved 
our mission is towards those that are not saved that they might be saved and know Jesus Christ. But anyway, this is what um, Alexis wrote when he traveled across the United States in 1831 uh, to 32. He said, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. <clears throat> I sought for the greatness of, and genius of America in her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her public school system and her institutions of learning, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her Demo uh, Democratic Congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Now, you have to understand, when he was talking about the flames coming from the pulpit, uh, many of you might not be aware of church history, but it was the church that was the first to take a stand against slavery and discrimination. In 1920, and they're not trying to put the Methodist church down, understand me, I'm just sharing history with you. In, 19, in 1820, I said 1920, in 1820, the Methodist Church was the largest denomination in the United States of America. And the Methodist Church had decided that they were going to take a stand in favor of slavery. And so you had Methodists that didn't agree with that, and they actually started separating from the Methodist Church. You had the Wesleyan Methodists, you had the Pilgrim Holiness, you had um, the Church of the Nazarene, and there, there, there were others, too, the Charismatic Methodists and so forth. There are groups that separated from the Methodist Church because they believed slavery was a sin against God. And so they not only preached the need of salvation and the righteousness of God to be you know, brought into our lives, but they also denounced slavery. They were abolitionists. Abolitionists. And so the reason I'm sharing all of this is because what he said at the very end of that quote that I just read, when America ceases to be great, she'll cease to be good. Because this is what we're going to find in this portion that we're reading. Because we find that Balaam was unable to curse Israel because with all of their faults, Israel trusted in God and tried to follow his commands. And so as long as Israel was trusting in God, God's favor, God's promises were, were true, and God would bless them. It was only when they turned against the commands of God that he came and brought judgment on them. And we're going to find that what happened is Balaam taught Balak to introduce the women of Moab into the camps of the Israelites to bring them down. Now understand, it wasn't the sin of the Israelites getting involved with the Moabites as much as when they did, the Moabite women brought the Israeli men to worship their gods. And that's what caused everything to fall apart, we'll find out. <clears throat> but we have to understand that Satan always comes against God's people. But he can't win. 
because there are so many of, of God's promises that were to Israel and are to the church that are irrevocable. But Satan is doing everything he can in this world to stir people up one against another and to cause people to fall to sin. All we have to do, Pastor Frank Jr. mentioned it in the first service, all we have to do is look around our world and things are just going crazy. Well, it doesn't mean that God has lost control. As a matter of fact, if we study God's word, he shows us that is the intent and heart of man and it's going to come to this culmination before his judgment comes. Well, for you and I as believers, there's a real promise there because before his judgment comes, he's taking his church out of the world. He has not appointed the church unto wrath. Scripture is very clear about that. So when we see everything going on, the world seems to be unraveling, lift up your heads for your redemption is drawing near. It's the time for you and I as believers to take a stand for the things of God, not allow all the things of the world to get us the way it does. Here's a little tip from an old man, okay? Nick isn't here, so I'm the oldest man. All right, so here's the tip from an old man. Don't watch the news. You watch the news, and it's going to get you all stirred up one way or another. It's going to get you all stirred up. Read your Bible, pray, and lead people to Christ. That's what we need to be doing. Now, um, as we're going to find out, it was impossible for Balaam to curse Israel because God had made promises to Israel that were irrevocable. He promised them that they would go into the land and possess it. He promised Israel that they would come back into the land more than once. And he promised Israel when they are back in the land for the last time, which they are now, May 14, 1948, Israel declared itself a nation. And he promised them that there was going to be a time that all the, the armies from the north would come against her and that God himself would supernaturally intervene. See, God's promises for Israel haven't ended. And even when Jesus Christ returns with us to establish his kingdom on earth, where is he ruling from? The throne of David in Jerusalem, in Israel. And so we can't just throw Israel under the bus or try to push it under the carpet and pretend that she doesn't exist. Israel is a nation because God has given her irrevocable promises. But here's the good news. God has given us, as believers, irrevocable promises too. No matter what comes against us, no matter who comes against us, no matter what difficulties we face, even no matter how much we stumble and fall, we're his. And he's going to bring us to be with him forever and ever. You know, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are left and are still alive shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall be with him forevermore. Wow. You know, I mean, I know is we can't help our human nature, and when there's someone that we love and we no longer have their physical presence, it's, it's hurtful because we love them. We don't, you know what I mean? We don't want them to be away from us. But in reality, as believers, when a believer dies, we should be saying, hallelujah, they're with Jesus right now. We're still here. You know, if we're going to weep, weep for yourselves, Jesus said. But they're with the Lord. It's amazing. Now, think about what it says in Romans eleven twenty nine: 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. 
So what God has given you is irrevocable. Nothing can take it away, not even all your mess-ups. And if you're sitting there thinking, I never mess up, then I'm thinking you are completely unaware of your own personality and who you are because we all mess up. Now, the final judgment is going to be determined by those who stand for Israel and those who don't. We're going to find in this portion of Scripture. For you and I, the final judgment is determined, determined by those of us that stand for the Lord or born again and those of us that don't. Think about this. This was a prophecy in Genesis, if you take notes, 12 and verse 3. And um, God speaking um, to Abraham, and from him would come Israel. And he said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How are all the families of the earth blessed through Abraham? Through Abraham came the Israelites. Through the Israelites came Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So all the earth is blessed by the gift of Abraham, the gift that God gave to Abraham in his special calling. So we are picking up where Pastor Frank Jr. left off in Numbers 23, starting with verse 13. 23, starting with verse 13. Then Balak said to him, Balaam, please come with me to another place from which you may see them, the Israelites, and you shall see only the outer parts of them and shall not see them all. Curse them for me, uh, for me from there. So he brought him to Zophilim, to the top of Pishgah, and the top of Pishgah is, is also the place of the watchers. It was a pagan place. Uh, it, lay upon, it lays upon uh, the top of Pishka, uh, north of where they were, and it was a very narrow ravine, and there was also an intervening hill or slope that came in, which meant that when Balaam was standing there, he could only see a small part of the Israeli camp. And so that's the reason he took them, him to that place. Verse 15, and he said to Balak, stand here uh, by your burnt offerings. Now, I want you to notice this because I'm going to make a point in a moment. Balaam is saying to Balak, stand here by your burnt offerings. So Balak is the one who, it was his idea, and he's the one that gave the offerings to his false gods. Well, I meet the Lord over there. Then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, go back to Balak, and thus you shall, you shall speak. So he came to him, and there he was standing by his burnt offerings, Balaam coming back to Balak, and uh, the princes of Moab were with him. And Balak said to him, what has the Lord spoken? Then he took up his oracles and said, rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son Ziphor. God is not a man, we all know this verse, God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent. He has said, and he, he has said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord 
his God is with him. And the shout of a king, and, and, and that is the euphemism for the, the trumpet of victory. Shout of a king, the trumpet of victory, okay, is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. For there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, oh, what God has done. Look, a people rise like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Then Balak said to Balaam, neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. So Balaam answered and said to Balak, did I not tell you, saying, all the Lord speaks, that I must do. Then Balak said to Balaam, please come, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor that overlooks the wasteland. And Balaam said to Balak, build for me. Now this time, Balaam, it's his idea to build the altar. Uh, here, seven altars. And prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and a ram on every altar. Well, the first clue that we have in this portion here that Balaam is, was not really given to God is that he keeps trying to curse Israel. Remember, God had already told Balaam, don't go, don't curse my people. But Balaam was thinking, if there's any way that I can get all the reward that these people are offering me to curse Israel, you know, maybe there's some way I can do it. And if it doesn't work here, then I'll try it there. And if it doesn't work here, then I'll try it there. It shows us that Balaam wasn't really given to God. As a matter of fact, we read just a moment ago talking about sorcery and divination. Well, that isn't of God either. And so we look at this and we think, well, then how could God speak through Balaam? Well, God can speak through a witch, and he did. In 1 Samuel chapter 28, <clears throat> very interesting chapter to read. And remember, um, Saul actually was rejected by God, and he wanted to find out about a battle that was coming up, so he went to the witch of Endor. She was a witch. And that was against the law of God to begin with. And so he goes to the witch and wants the witch to give him information about this battle that's coming up. And all of a sudden, Samuel comes up. He rises up. His spirit is there. And we know that the witch wasn't expecting it because she screamed. And Samuel spoke to Saul and told him he would, he's going to die, that the throne goes to David. The point I'm getting at is the Lord used a witch to speak. And the fact is, there are other places in Scripture. You know, even Caiaphas, the high priest who, who condemned Jesus to death, it tells us he spoke prophecy and didn't even realize it. It's better for one man to die than for a whole nation. And so, when you look at Scripture, we have to understand just because the Lord speaks through someone, it doesn't mean that that person is really of the Lord. A person who loves Jesus and is born again, hopefully the Lord speaks through them often and speaks to their own heart all the time. But Balaam 
Many people try to somehow make him some good guy. He wasn't a good guy. He was rejecting God right from the beginning. He kept wanting to curse, kept wanting to curse. And then finally, he taught, Balaam taught Balak how to get the people to sin. And he said, get them involved with your women and then have the women bring them to worship at the, at the temple of Baal. And as a matter of fact, that happened, and they did. And so God's judgment came upon Israel, and a plague broke out. And then finally, the Lord spoke to Moses when he said, what's going on? And, and, and God said to Moses, hey, these people are having relations with the women of Moab, and I, I forbid that. It's got to stop. And so right while Moses is declaring this to the people, one of the princes of Simeon, the tribe of Simeon, the leader, he came in with a woman from Moab. And Phinehas, who was the grandson of the high priest, followed him into a tent, and he rammed a spear through both of them, and, and the plague stopped. Pretty severe. But the point that's being made there is if we want to stop the plague of unrighteousness in our own heart, we might have to drive a spear right through whatever it is that's causing it. All of us have things in our life that we deal with. All of us have areas of our life that pull us down. It needs to be cut off. You know, Balaam didn't know God. God, for some reason, spoke to him. But when we talk about knowing God, nostos, when we talk about knowing him, it means we have that intimate relationship with him. Balaam didn't. He just knew of God, and God for some reason, used him, um, and especially in this case, to, to curse uh, the people of Moab. And uh, it's interesting, because have you ever had times that the Lord has shown you something over and over and over, and nevertheless, you still decide to be contrary to what God is showing you? That's an amazing thing. Balaam saw what God has shown him over and over, and he still wanted to be contrary to God in order to receive a financial gain. And even the children of Israel, they knew what was contrary to God. They knew what God had, the promises God had given them, and yet what did he do? They started fraternizing with the people of um, you know, Moab. And it wasn't just the, the fraternizing between men and women. They started worshiping their gods. And God set them aside as a people for one reason, to be the banner and standard for righteousness, for his righteousness, for his truth, for his word. And so the minute they start getting involved in, in, in pagan sorcery and pagan worship, it was taking away from the very calling that they had in their heart and their life. And you and I as believers, we all have a calling to worship the Lord our God, to praise him, to follow after him with all of our heart. And the minute we start swaying from that, we're losing our purpose and direction that God has given us. doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. We'll talk about that in a minute. We do. Now, what was happening here, Balaam, or Balak actually thought that the only reason that Balaam wouldn't curse the Israelites is because when he looked out at their camp from a mountain, he said, you have to understand, we're talking about millions of people. It's not like the Ten Commandments, which I love. I watch it, you know, every time it's on. <laughs> I can hear 
In fact, when, when I hear Moses speak, it's Charlton Heston. You know, when I read it in Scripture, I hear Charlton Heston's voice. But anyway, um, in the Ten Commandments, you know, they bring the people out, and you got, what, maybe 600 people, 500 people that's in the movie. There were millions. And so when, what Balak was thinking is when Balaam looked out and he saw this huge group of people, he's thinking, how can I curse them? Look at how big they are. They're going to have the victory. So Balak said, I'm going to bring Balaam to a place where he can only see a part of the camp. And then maybe he'll have a heart to curse them because he doesn't think they're that large. That's the reason he brought them to that place. But we find that God is not a man, that he should lie, nor the son of man, that he should repent. God can't lie because his very nature is truth. We know that even from what Jesus Christ said. Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and life. And we also know that God can't repent because the very idea of repentance is that you've done something wrong and God cannot sin. And there are some people who say, well, why do they use that word repent? Well, the Lord is perfect in all his ways, it tells us in Job, right? In Job 37, 16, if you take notes. So God can't repent in the sense that we look at it. In the King James Version, it says the Lord repented several times. For instance, in Genesis 6, 6, it says, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on earth. But we have to understand that the word for repent here is nakam in the, in the Hebrew, and it literally means to sigh. And so it's like when your child does something wrong, you don't say, strike him from the earth. You know, hopefully you don't anyway. When your child does something wrong, you, they're still your child. You love them, but it just, it, it so frustrates you that they did wrong. But then you love them and you encourage them. That's what the word repent means as it's used in this uh, portion here. It doesn't mean that God, because you understand when we repent, it's because we did wrong. Repent of your sin. We've done wrong, but God can't and doesn't repent. Now, the thing we have to realize where Balak made his mistake as far as wanting Balaam to only see part of the Israelites is this. It was not the immensity of the camp of Israel that would not allow Balaam to curse Israel. It was the immensity of their God. Do you understand? It was the immensity of their God. In verse 20, it says, Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. You know, it is so beneficial for each one of us from time to time to come and realize who God is. You know, it tells us, in, well, in 1 John 1, 7, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, God is light. What does light do? It reveals everything. You know, have you ever walked into a, a, probably the cabin we're going to, <laughs> have you ever walked into like a vacation cabin and, and it's, it's, you know, it's kind of dark in there and you look and you say, wow, this is really nice in here. And you didn't turn on the lights and it's like, <laughs> oh. Well, the reality is we sometimes think, well, you know what, I, I think I'm, I'm something. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably about the best Christian I know. Then the light of God's word Come shining on us, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, God forgive me. So we're to walk in the light as he is in the light, 
Because it says, and then we, should, we shall have fellowship one with another. Because it's only in the light that we can have fellowship with one another. This is the reason, brothers and sisters, you young people, I'm talking to you, and you might not like what I'm going to say, and if you don't, tough. <laughs> I mean, remember when we were kids? No, you guys are not my age. But when we were kids, we used to say tough rocks. Did you ever hear that term? Uh, anyway. But here's the reality of it. If you're a believer, you should not date or marry an unbeliever. The reason being is that you're walking in the light and they're not. Now, if you are a believer that is married to an unbeliever, maybe from before you were saved or maybe even after, but if you are a believer and you are married to an unbeliever, shine your light. Shine the light of Jesus Christ. I don't mean be obnoxious, but shine the light of Christ. Let light you know, be shown through you. And then also, we find in First um, John, I mean, yeah, First John chapter 4, seven, uh, uh, 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So another thing that we need to do if we are believers is love. Agapeos, that is an unconditional love. We're to love one another, and we're to love others. You know, if we find ourselves developing any kind of anger and prejudice towards people, it's wrong. We can understand that their policies are wrong, and maybe their belief system is wrong, but we're to love them. You know, like we hear people say, oh, those Muslims, oh, those liberals, oh, those this, or oh, those that. No, 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 no. It's their belief system that might be wrong, but the reality is we're to love them. It's interesting because many people aren't aware of this, that one of the greatest revivals that's taking place in the world right now is in Iran. You don't hear about it because Iran puts them to death. What faith they have, probably much stronger than ours, don't you think? So we, as believers, we have to walk in the light, and we have to have this love one for another, and we have to walk without prejudice. We all have prejudice. Well, guess what? We need to confess it, repent of it, and take it before the Lord. You know, never mind. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I was just going to be silly and say, it's just like, I mean, a lot of you don't understand where I'm coming from, but I'm short. You probably didn't know that. See my shirt sleeve? See how it's rolled up here? It's because it's too long, and I had to roll it up a little bit, being silly. But I'm short. And the reality is, when I was a young man, I mean, it's probably changed today, but when I was a young man, if you liked some girl that was six inches taller than you or so, she wouldn't even look at you because she had prejudice towards a short guy. She didn't realize what she was missing. You know, <clears throat> I mean, as far as my great personality. But uh, the point that I'm trying to get at is we should have none of that as believers. There's no place for that in the kingdom of God. Now, in verse 21, we have to realize 
he has not observed iniquity, it says, in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. And we read that, and we're thinking to ourselves, wait a second, we've, been, we've already covered Exodus and Leviticus, and now we're in Numbers. We know from the time that the, that the Israelites left Egypt, all they've done is messed up. How can he say there's no iniquity in Israel? Well, the thing we have to understand, it should be very encouraging to us. Because with all the grumbling and even the rebellion that the Israelis were falling to, that the Israelites were falling to, they were still moving towards the promise, weren't they? They were still moving towards the promised land. And so for you and I, no matter how much we've moaned and groaned and, and even fallen to sin, we're still moving towards the promise. We're still walking with God. We're still here. That's an encouragement to us. We're still here. And um, I've often said that we might have screwed up, fallen more, more than once, and even grumbled, but we're still following Jesus. And um, God always favors those who are willing to come before him and repent. If, you know my favorite verse, 1 John 1, 9, if, conditional conjunction, it's a requirement, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, confession isn't this. Like you're confronted by someone, maybe by the Lord, maybe by your spouse, by a friend, whatever. And you, well, I'm, yeah, maybe I made a mistake. I might have done wrong. Well, maybe I could have done it a little different. That's not confession. That's making excuses. Confession is, you're right, Lord, you're right, friend, you're right, right spouse, whoever it is that's talking to you, <clears throat> what I did was wrong, and I confess it, and I repent of it. And the word repent means to turn around. In other words, if I'm going in this direction, if I repent, I turn around. That's repentance. And so God is always there to forgive the rebellious people if they repent. It's not like, well, I'll tell you what, Lord, I, I really see what I'm doing wrong. In fact, I promise you, I'm only going to do it three more times. That's not repentance. Repentance is when the Holy Spirit has shine, shown his light into your heart and you realize, you know what, what I'm doing is wrong and I need to change. I need to turn around. Now, the Lord, Yahweh, cannot nor will he be used by the will of men. No matter how much Balaam wanted the money, no matter how much Balak wanted Balaam to curse the people, God will not be used by the will of men. And his ways are so far beyond our ways that no man can fully comprehend them. The only thing we can do is obey and follow the Lord. Now, there was a reason in this last account that, Balaam, uh, or that Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor because that's where their highest temple was, Baal Peor. The highest temple of Baal was there. And so they weren't offering sacrifices to Yahweh. They were offering sacrifices to Baal, to Baal. That's how most people pronounce it, but it's Baal, for those of us that are intelligent. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Actually, it was a pro computer program that showed me how to say it. But anyway, those that offered they were offering sacrifices to Baal because what they were actually thinking is that maybe the gods of the Moabites and the Midianites would enable them to curse 
the people of Israel because their gods would be fighting on their, on their side. But here's the problem. There is no God but our God. Every other God is just false. There is no God. You know, they're made of wood and stone. They're not, they're not gods at all. I love it when um, the Philistines, you know, they came in and they captured the Ark of the Covenant and they brought it and they put it before uh, Dagon, their God. They, they brought the Ark of the Covenant in and they came in in the morning and the God Dagon had fallen on the ground. And so they said, what, what the world's this? So they picked him up and they came the next day and he had fallen on the ground and, and broken apart. His head came off, one of his arms came off. And so then they decided they're going to send the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. There's no God but our God. And so we have to realize it doesn't make any difference. People say, well, you know, have you ever heard someone say, well, you know, faith is like a wheel. And there's many spokes that lead to the center, which is heaven. Me, wrong. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. We have to understand that. Well, does that make us bigoted because we think that's the only way? No, it's because we know the truth. For instance, if um, you realize that uh, a storm had taken a bridge out, and if people keep driving down that road, they're going to fall into a 150-foot ravine and be killed. And so you're standing there, and you're stopping people. Say, hey, you don't want to go down there. The, the bridge is out, and if you drive off it, you're going to be killed. And the people say, well, you know, that's your opinion. That's the way you see it. But I have a right to express my own opinion. And they drive off into destruction. And so we have to understand there's only one way to heaven. Every other way is the road to destruction. And so we need to be willing to take a stand for the Lord, even in the most difficult situations. Now, um, it's interesting because Balak is the one who instigated building the altars. And in this last case, Balaam had Balak build the seven altars. So it was Balaam that instigated it because he'd come to a place himself where he said, you know what? I want to curse Israel. I want the money. And so he thought, well, maybe if I have the help of their gods, I can do it. But of course, it didn't work. But one of the things that we can say for Balak and I'm, and I'm not trying to be funny. I mean, I'm, I'm serious. One of the things what we can say for Balak is he was determined. He takes Balaam from one place to another. And we're going to find, you know, next week, he takes him to still another place. He was determined. And uh, I find that convicting. How determined are we? Here you have a pagan. And look at how determined he was to have things move towards his faith system, towards his God. How, how determined? How determined are we? You know, Jesus is love because God is love, right? And love comes from God, Scripture tells us. So when we are born again, you have to understand, it's not our love for God that causes us to become Christians is his love for us. All we do is reach out and receive it. We receive his love. And then his love fills our heart, our inner man, our cardiac. And that love is supposed to shine out to others and to the world around us. 
And so the fact is, if we really love the Lord and we want to be a witness for Christ, if you really want to be a witness for Christ, then your life should be a witness for Christ. You follow what I'm saying? I mean, it's so easy to say, you know, like Vi and I, this you know, kind of crazy thing, but probably it's hard for you guys to think about this, but years ago before we were saved, we used to smoke cigarettes among other things. But we used to smoke cigarettes. And I used to smoke probably close to two packs a day. And I used to tell, after we got saved, we realized we, we shouldn't be smoking, we shouldn't be destroying our body and like that, and, which is a long, long time ago. And um, so we used to tell people, you know, it's easy to quit smoking. In fact, we quit every Monday. Get my point. <laughs> that doesn't do it. There had to be that one day when we quit and we never smoked again. And in our life, the Lord wants us to walk in righteousness. He is patient and he's long-suffering. He's wishing for none to perish. And over and over again, we can confess our sin to the Lord. He forgives us and encourages us in the right way. But there has to be that time that we have the victory. I can think of so many things in my life that the Lord has given me 100% victory over, I don't even deal with it all anymore. But I can also think of things in my life that I struggle with constantly. Those are the difficult ones. And any of you who are sitting here and saying, well, you know what, since I've got saved, I don't deal with anything. Then I'm going to tell you, you're not really dealing with reality either. Because the truth is, we all deal with stuff. We need to repent. Because the wonderful thing about repentance is it's behind us. The past, if you dig into your past, all it does is make you miserable and, and, and you know, sorrowful for the things you've done. But we should look to our future of where God wants to bring us. And the only way that we can determine where we're going to go in our future is in the present of what we're doing right now. Follow my point? So it's right now we have to make our decisions for the Lord to change our future. So my encouragement to you, we're living in a, in a world, and I'm sorry to say this, and I'm not trying to be funny. It's not going to revert back. The world is going to keep going further and further away from God. Because like in Genesis, uh, God told um, Abraham, he said, for, you know, you're not going to go into the promised land right now. He said, but in the fourth generation after your death, and that's when, what we're reading about here, when Israelites were coming into the promised land, he said, then you'll come into the land. He said, because the sin of the Amorites is not yet full. You probably all know that scripture. In other words, God wasn't ready to bring his full judgment on these pagans. Their sin wasn't yet full. And God has held back his judgment on planet earth, number one, because he wants people to be saved, but because the sin of this world is not yet full. But it's close. And when it comes, God is going to rapture his church out. And understand, the first three and a half years of the tribulation are okay, and the Antichrist is doing well. Then the last three and a half years is when it gets tough. The very moment the church is raptured, God's judgment comes in a powerful and mighty way. But one thing that we, sh we can be encouraged in, you've heard me share this before, I think that's when the greatest revival this world has ever seen will take place. 
because there's so many people that you've shared your faith with and you talked about the rapture of the church and they say to you, you're insane. <laughs> then the rapture of the church comes and whatever is happening afterwards, if they try to make excuses for it, I don't know what they're going to do. But the people that we shared our faith with, they're going to be thinking they were right. And they're going to run to God. They're going to run to his word. But yet, we're getting to that place. I mean, you can, you can feel it. It says, as labor pains comes upon a pregnant woman, so shall be the coming of the Lord. And any of you who've ever been, I mean, I've never had a baby, but I've been with my wife when she's having children, and the, and the contractions, labor pains come, and what happened? They get quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker, and then you're at that point, you know the baby's going to be born. Well, the labor pains in this world have been going, and I'm telling you right now, they're going, lift up your heads. Jesus is coming back. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for your word and for the truth that we find in it, for the promises that you have that are irrevocable, not only for Israel, but for those of us who are grafted in branches. And I pray, Lord, that you would cause our hearts to be fully given to you, and we would not turn to the right nor to the left, but just keep our focus on you, the living God, and serve you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Bless each one who's here today, Lord, and anything in their heart that they're confessing and repenting of, Lord, I pray that you would grant them the peace of knowing that when we confess our sins, we're forgiven. And you take our sin from us as far as the east is from the west, and you remember them no more, so neither should we. Let them go. And I give you thanks, Father, for this opportunity to share your word. And I pray in Jesus' holy name, amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends.